让生命历历，虚空粉碎夜，狂心荡香。Chan Chronicles, Venerable Master Xuan Hua's life and legacy kept alive through stories told by his senior disciples. In this episode, we find out from Reverend Hung Shur that Master Hua was a prodigious writer, and his way with words has roots all the way back to his days as a teenager in Manchuria. People who know this teacher think probably have a visual take on him: his yellow yellow robe wearing, often smiling but sometimes fierce kind of presence, and people don't think of him as a literati. People don't think of him as a man whose、um, artistic written output, if we, if it was printed and published, it would cover a, a dining table four books deep in books. And、uh, this is—I don't think he was unique in that regard, but certainly in our century or in the last couple of centuries, he's Master Hua's literary output was prodigious, was huge, and and I think it's fascinating to to see how. You measure someone's wisdom and skill by their work with words, and that was him. That was Master Hua.、Yeah. I'm your host, Fabrizio Alberico. Please visit our website, DharmaRadio.org, for more information about these podcasts and the people and organizations that make them possible. So, what does eloquence mean in the Chinese Buddhist context? In Buddhism, traditionally, they say there are four types of eloquence that、uh, a teacher, the Buddha, or a Bodhisattva, or a Deva, sometimes, or even a, an ordinary individual who's got wisdom,、uh, will be able to to use language to explain the Dharma. And to help us out of our confusion and bring us towards awakening, and so there are four traditional types of eloquence. And the first is eloquence in dharma, which is to say that everything they say will bring us back to a principle that the Buddha announced, the Buddha reported, like the Four Noble Truths, for example, or the Eightfold Path, or the Twelve Links of Conditioned Arising, or the Six Paramitas, or The ten wisdom powers, sort of thing. So every word、uh, that they that they say has a source in Dharma. It's not casual. It's not ordinary.、Um, that's the first kind. So eloquence in Dharma. There's an eloquence in principle, which is to say that the、um, as this person who's got who's eloquent is speaking, they'll be able to、uh, take whatever's happening around them. And go past the superficials down to the principle at the heart of it. They go past the branch tips down to the root. And if they're talking about a root, they can spin it out to infinite branch tips with leaves. But you see the connection between the specifics going on around you that your senses are reporting and the principle deep in the nature. And they can do that effortlessly back and forth. So eloquence in in in.、Uh, In principle, they, there's a third one called the eloquence in phrasing, and the eloquence in phrasing is just the ability to sing it, the ability to whistle it, the ability to dance it, the ability to change the meter, change the rhyme,、uh, 
change the genre and you still see the Dharma and the principle in it. There's just this uh, beauty in, in there. They can do it with a Shakespearean turn. They can do it with street talk and hip hop. And they can do it in other languages. And you can still feel the same pulse and the same living uh, expression of Dharma. Then the last one is joy in speech, the eloquence of joy in speech. And this is what we saw with Master Hua, was words were a playground for him. Just this, there's, there's something wonderful about getting the perfect match. And there's in the matching couplets, for example, there's this thing called a jiedui, an absolute match, where no matter how many characters is in the, are in the initial line, it could be, you know, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, would be the, the teacher would give you Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, Fofa, Sangha. The perfect match would be heaven, earth, and humans, hmm. you know, because you've, you've uh, Sangha are people, Dharma is earth, and the Buddha is heaven, you know, this infinite empty space-like perfection. And so when you get to a jiedui, an absolute match, Master Hua would just light up. He would say, look, you can't improve it. It's, it's perfect as is. This, you know, no matter how many characters, three characters or, or 30 characters in the match, he would just craft it until it was an absolute perfect match. No further improvement. Mm. That's the kind of joy in speech. So the four kinds of eloquence he manifested all the time. The, the, the eloquence in dharma, the eloquence in principle, the eloquence in phrasing, and the eloquence in joy in speech. Mm. People who know this teacher think probably have a visual take on him. This yellow, yellow robe wearing, often smiling, but sometimes fierce kind of presence. And people don't think of him as a literati. People don't think of him as a, a man whose um, artistic written output, if, we, if it was printed and published, it would cover a, a dining table four books deep in books. And uh, this is, I don't think he was unique in that regard, but certainly in our century or in the last couple of centuries, he's, Master Hua's literary output was prodigious, was huge. And, and I think it's fascinating to, to see how you measure someone's wisdom and skill by their work with words. And that was him. That was Master Hua. Mm-hmm. And he started working with words very early on when he started a school in his... He was in a, his Manchurian farming village in northeast China. Uh, back before he was 16, he uh, started his first uh, free school in his village because like his fellow, uh, his playmates who were children of farming families, they had no opportunity to go to school. There was no money for a tutor. Schools weren't available out in the village. And so he started the free school and took all the teaching duties himself. Um, then when conditions came around, he was able to find a tutor. So he went off to school for three and a half years. And uh, there was a, in, in China where different genres of, of literature are prevalent from poetry to essays and subcategories. There's one called matching couplets. Dui, dui lian in Chinese, and a dui lian is one line 
of Chinese characters that the tutor or the, the teacher poses, and then all the students come and match the bottom line. Same number of characters. And you have to, uh, if it's a number, you have to match it with a number. If it's a season, you match it with a season. If it's a verb, you match it with a verb, like that. So this is uh, the skill of matching couplets. Master Hua excelled in matching couplets. Uh, so yin matches yang, right? Night matches day. Mm-hmm. 10,000 matches myriad, you know? And so after a while, um, he, for his lesser motivated classmates, he would ghostwrite the bottom line the, of the couplet. And his teacher caught on after a while when all these excellent matching lines came out. He said, uh-oh, this is young, young Master Bai. You, this isn't your work. I recognize his, his skill in matching that second line. So from his teens, Master Hua was already showing his skill in, with language. talking about four legacies that this teacher left behind and one of them was his daily schedule which included 90 minutes of a sutra lecture he would he was what you call in theological circles he's an exegete he does exegesis which is commentary on scripture and sure enough master hua 90 minutes every day explained a mahayana buddhist text put the words of the buddha in front of people and comment explained them line by line by line, going through all the sutra texts. And so that's not literature until disciples take it, record it, transcribe it, translate it, and publish it. Then suddenly it's, wow, this this teacher wrote so much. Well, he didn't. He spoke it. Mm -hmm. But it was this form of making a uh, classical commentary to the Buddha's words. So there's that. And the number of published sutras that Master Hua delivered over 30 years, every single night, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday, published by the Buddhist Text Translation Society, now numbers in the hundreds, hundreds of titles. We've now opened up this, uh, this line of publishing in China. And Master Hua's uh, sutra commentaries is the most popular, most requested uh, authorship of Buddhist texts in China right now, hmm. published by what's called the Zongjiao Wenhua Chubansha, the uh, China Religions Publishing of the Central Government. So there's that. And how would you characterize the, uh, his teaching, his interpretations of the sutras versus others, perhaps? What m- makes his interpretations uh, so popular? The, the short answer is he, he spoke to potentials. He aimed it at the audience, and his audience, when he was doing this, were us Americans. We, hippie generation, young people, who had a thought that, wow, enlightenment sounds cool. I think I want to get enlightened. So we'd come in seeking enlightenment and have no clue what Buddhism was all about. It's cultural beginnings in India, it's filtering through China. We just wanted to get enlightened, Mm -hmm. and we were meditators. So Master Hua taught to that group. And the result was, I've I've heard from probably a dozen Chinese monks from Taiwan to Malaysia to Singapore to Hong Kong to China who say, you know, of all the commentaries, from all the centuries of commentaries, I pick up your teacher's books first. Because why? That you go in simple and you come out deep. Mm -hmm. 
you know there's there's clearly uh, a he's he's focused on the principle the Buddha nature but he explains it in terms you can grasp we like his stuff that's what they say so he was aiming it at Americans but it had a universal audience because it was digested it was clear and if if you're if you don't really understand it you can make it sound obscure and lofty that's not his style at all because mm-hmm. it was so thoroughly digested he would present it in terms that everybody could pick up The, in terms of literary stuff, what, what, how Master Shenhua um, distinguished himself um, in, in another way is he pioneered some literary genres that didn't exist before. For example, he took the Great Compassion Mantra, uh, all 84 lines of the Maha Karuna Dharani. This is part of Guanyin Bodhisattva's uh, Great Compassion Dharmas. It's a, known as the esoteric school in, in the Mahayana Buddhism, and called the Great Compassion Mantra. The Chinese call it the Da Bei Zhou, right? And it's one of the hallmarks of Mahayana practice is reciting the Great Compassion Mantra. Well, people use it as a kind of a spell, these sounds that are there for vibration and for goodness and all. Master Hua took each line of the 80, I say 84, 87 lines of the Great Compassion Mantra, and gave an eight-line verse to explain it. Hmm. And that I was there when he wrote these, and we were in at the City of 10,000 Buddhas in a classroom. Master Hua would come in, stand in front of the blackboard with a piece of chalk in his hand, and kind of the 50, the, 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 uh, thousand foot stair in the 50 foot room kind of looking into space and then he would reach up and start to write Chinese characters top to bottom and he would write twenty eight characters right eight eight lines and wouldn't change a word and it would match it would meter and it explained the the essence of the the line of the mantra, and it brought in the moment. He mm-hmm. would be a commentary to the people sitting in the room. Um, so it was, to my mind, that was magic, because anybody who's ever tried to write a song or to com- even compose a letter to somebody, you scratch out, right. you erase, you think about it, you start over, you crumple it up and get a new piece of paper. He would write it fresh one time, never change a word, and it would be perfect Mm -hmm. for the moment for the versatile line and for the genre that he was writing in Mm -hmm. you know and i saw him do that over and over so the great compassion mantra has an eight line uh verse explaining each line then he started on the sharangama mantra right 500 plus lines he did the whole thing sharangama mantra the same way day after day standing there with a chalk and write it down on the blackboard, dust his fingers off and sit down and say, what do you all think? You know, mm-hmm. masterpieces mm-hmm. just on the spot. And then... Uh, and are he, these available? 
They, they're in the process of being published. Okay. Um, yes, they will soon be. There's quite a backlog of all this that he put out. Mm-hmm. Then he uh, had a series where he would, um, it's called the Water Mirror, Reflections in the Water and Mirrors. Um, the Chinese is Shui Jing Hui Tian Lu, it's called. And he would make these commentaries on the Buddhist patriarchs the, and matriarchs, the line of Buddhist teachers that went from the Buddha on. And he would look into their lives from history, then stand and write an essay, a short essay, and then uh, a verse at the end to summarize in verse form on the life of each individual patriarch, talking about their particularities. There's an exhortation in it, and it's inspiring. It's like, this is, you know, cultivate according to this. And fantastic how out it would come. And he would, this would be his Chinese language class. Master Hua would come down on a weeknight, uh, all the after either before the sutra lecture or after, and we'd all be sitting in the kitchen at Gold Mountain Monastery with a blackboard. And he would say, uh, I'm going to tell you about the uh, 27th patriarch of the Pure Land School, whose name was something, something, something. And he would give his name and then write the essay as he stood there and then write the verse. Boom, done. And then he would explain it and then go back upstairs. And here we had this little vignette about an enlightened teacher from the past. You know. Then after he did that series, he started in, in famous people in history and uh, throughout you know, uh, the emperors of China and then up to the Republican era and including uh, Chiang Kai-shek and Mao Zedong and uh, Tseng Guofan and uh, he wrote about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and President Kennedy and he would include, the, it was a commentary on famous men and women in history and the inspiration, the good and the evil people that they did, done in the same way with this prose and then a verse. And uh, it was just astonishing to see him spontaneously, We what do we have now? We have uh, spoken word poetry, right? Hip hop, mm-hmm. where somebody is spitting rhyme, you know, in front of the mic. Right. Master Hua did that in Chinese uh, day after day after day after day. And how did he accumulate all this knowledge. You mentioned George Washington and all these other figures in history that you wouldn't expect a Chan master to be aware of. Where, how he, did he acquire this? He was a prodigious reader, mm. self-taught largely because there, there weren't schools for Chan monks. But he, um, he read the news every day. He would consume a newspaper. And then uh, he had a, a good friend from uh, Manchuria who was a, a, came, a Manchurian Chinese compatriot who came to the U.S. and became uh, President George H.W. Bush's uh, Secretary of Education for for Asia, a man named uh, John B. Zhu, T.S.U. Zhu Bingmin was his name, and Dr. Zhu uh, was uh, a great friend and uh, would call up Master Hua and and read the newspaper to him when when in his later years when. Uh, Master Hua's eyes were not as, that strong. So he, he stayed informed and uh, encouraged us to go vote. Uh, we got involved in public affairs by hosting, uh, when the uh, San Francisco mayor's race was 1975, I believe, when George Moscone was elected mayor, um, we had a candidate's night at Gold Mountain Monastery where all the... the, the uh, uh, candidates for mayor would come in and give their campaign speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was quite... Diane Feinstein came in and uh, uh, 
Senator Milton Marks came in and Moscone came and gave his talk and, and Master Hua, he, the only person that Master Hua came down to greet was Moscone and he gave him a prediction at the door and said, you have to try your best, don't be late, you can be mayor. Hmm. George Moscone heard him and did a little dance on the sidewalk. Before. Just He was so happy, he's a good Catholic and he mm -hmm. recognized in Master Hua the qualities that he wanted in a you know, cardinal, so in a pope. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so he stayed in touch with public affairs that way and uh, and encouraged us to, you know, it's kind of the Mahayana spirit. You're, you put your, the, the lotus roots itself in the mud, but the blossom stays pure top of the water. Mm -hmm. Did he give any teachings on how to cultivate within yourself the process of becoming a writer, becoming skilled at what he obviously had mastered? Well, just by example, probably. Uh, he encouraged everybody to, uh, to write. He, we published Vajrabodhi Si, our journal of, of Buddhism, uh, from the earliest years. Now that magazine is in its, what, 400th? consecutive issue, something like that. Mm. Um, when he was in Hong Kong, he published a magazine called Mind Dharma Shinfa. And uh, just, you know, uh, he, he constantly published journals and encouraged little books. He would occasionally, remember one night he came down and said, last night I had a brilliant idea. He said, I'm going to explain it to you now. And he gave us what were called the Ten Dharma Realms, very terse Chinese verses describing the six paths of rebirth and the four paths of the sage, so Ten Dharma Realms. And so he was constantly creating this way and if just hoping that we would pick it up. If anybody, um, if anybody attempted to do what he did, he would correct you on the spot. And I had an experience of that which was uh, unforgettable and just it did more to teach me and bring me closer than anything he could have done. And uh, the, the story goes, uh, I was on a pilgrimage uh, bowing from Southern California up to Northern California and we were in Half Moon Bay and I had, we hadn't, uh, we as myself and another monk named uh, Marty Verhoeven, former Hung Chao, and we hadn't seen Master Hua for uh, almost a month. And he was, when he showed up, I could talk because I, I was silent otherwise. And so I had been the last week or so, maybe missing my teacher, I had been composing a poem in Chinese. And I was thinking, boy, I'm, I'm sure he's going to like this. I'm sure he's going to say, pretty good. That's, definitely he's going to be happy with me. So I, there he was. And uh, so we sat down to lunch, and lunch was finished, and I said, oh, Shifu, I, I wrote a poem. You what? I wrote a poem, Shifu, in Chinese. Oh, yeah? You weren't really focusing on your bowing, were you? <laughs> well, but Shifu, can I recite it? Sure, let's hear it. So I recited it for him in Chinese, and obviously he was picking up on how proud I was of myself. And he said, uh-huh. Okay, and he went blink, blink, and he recited it back to me, having changed four or five words in it 
and by doing so, turned it around and made it a teaching directly to me, pointing out my mistakes, my, you know, my mis- miscon- misconceptions in Dharma, and improving it as a Chinese poem, and also expanding it past uh, my perspective into true wisdom. And it just, it floored me, because number one, I recited it once, and he memorized it and gave it back to me, just like he did when he was in the village with his kids matching couplets, I'm sure. He had, this is his strength, was this amazing memory and, and his ability, his clarity. So the other thing was that he, just by changing, keeping my structure and flipping, I, I, I did four lines, 28 characters, four lines of, of seven characters each, and he took four of the words and reversed the order and completely changed it to say, to teach me about my attachments and my, you know, my pride at thinking that when in fact his point was, why, why wasn't I bowing? Why was I writing poetry instead of bowing? Mm-hmm. You know? So it became what I called the mute speaks Dharma verse because I was, I was the mute at the time. And it was a perfect example of how Master Hua uh, could use whatever you present him to, to teach you in a place that knows you better than you know yourself because he's looking without without the selective blindness at my my attachments and my false thinking. So the mute speaks Dharma verse is just something. Whenever I need to be humbled by my teacher, this is true Kung Fu. You mm-hmm. know? This is the 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 master taking the best move of his disciple and just effortlessly right. flipping him on his on his butt. You know? So, mm-hmm. Wonderful. So the original Chinese that I was so proud of and expected to be praised for goes like this. Yan si pian yi, jing shu duo, jing shan bao gui xi you fu, meng zhong zhi yu li zhu nian, jue hou jin qi wei zhong shuo. So Master Hua heard that, and without a blink, he said, Yan si xu wang jiao bian duo. Now that's for an English-speaking audience, that's not going to be as interesting, but let me describe what he did. The original that I came up with was like this. Words are cheap, but energy is precious. Sutras are priceless, and Buddhas are few. Still dreaming? Stop talking and do no false thinking. Awakened? Speak Dharma with all that you do. I thought, wow, that's really pretty inspiring, isn't it, Shervo? So he said, your words are false. Your excuses are many. When you value your energy, you can become a Buddha. Still dreaming? Stop talking and do no false thinking. Awakened? You'll discover there was never a single word in it at all from the very beginning. So the uh, the, lat, the English doesn't meter 
the way my first one did. But what he did, I said, words are cheap, but energy is precious. Sutras are priceless and Buddhas are few. Some abstract comment about, you know, about how hard it is to get enlightened. Well, he said, your words are false. That's my name, true and real. Your excuses are many for not cultivating. When you value your energy, you can become a Buddha. And he used my original language, flipping it over, turning the meaning 100%, pointing right back at me and my attachments. Mm -hmm. So that's skill. That's mm -hmm. precious gong fu that you, know, you could hope for in a teacher. He's just waiting for students to make their mark so he can <laughs> uh, spin us, put us back in the proper dharma, and push us forward past our own limitations. Mm -hmm. so. And did you take it that way? immediately or did you did it take a little bit of you know tamping down the ego a little bit and it was it was such a clear f tour de force no i it was i was flabbergasted mm -hmm. there was no room for for hurt feelings because this was it's it's the equivalent of i suppose uh hitting a tennis ball across the net and having serena williams return the volley right you know, it's like, what was that? Mm -hmm. And seeing that he was so tuned into me and uh, so far ahead of my efforts that effortlessly on his part, he could hit the ball back across the net and uh, show me precisely where, uh, where I was attached. And he tuned it in because my, my name is among came from my teacher as well. When you ordain, he gives you your name. and uh, Which is constantly real. Constantly real, right. And so he worked that in. You know, I said, words are cheap, but energy is precious. He said, your words are false, and your excuses are many. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just keep going. Stop stop playing around. This is not a joke, you know. And, and it was like, my jaw dropped. So, you know, perfect. And in terms of... Uh, Get, uh, teaching me as his disciple, he couldn't have done, he couldn't have found a better way to do it than to take my best effort at poetry and flip it around and improve it. It's a better poem mm -hmm. in Chinese than, than I gave him, but it's it's aimed directly at my attachment. So, And on the spot. Oh, on the spot, effortlessly, just, mm -hmm. just like the way he would write these essays of the blackboard, mm -hmm. not changing a word, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was essentially one of the students from his 16-year-old free school who he just ghost-wrote my couplet, right. you know, <laughs> so pretty impressive. That concludes this episode of Chan Chronicles. Many thanks go out to the Berkeley Buddhist Monastery and Reverend Hung Shur for their hospitality. Our website, once again, dharmaradio.org, has much more for you to click through. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you'll be sure to receive new episodes of Chan Chronicles as soon as they're available. Amitofo.